retirement isn't just sitting there and, and expecting things to happen. Because when you don't have your work to go to, it really disrupts your whole routine. Because what you do on Saturday and Sunday when you're working is not your life after you retire or else it will quickly deteriorate because you have no mental or emotional stimulation. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and inspiring guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and fellow Zestful Ager. I want to invite you to my free webinar, Zestful Aging, Here's How You Do It. You can sign up at NicoleChristina.com. Last week, we heard from Sheila Applegate, who did a beautiful and unique guided meditation with us. I hope you enjoyed that. And next week, we're going to be speaking with Irene Francis Olson, who's the author of Requiem for the Status Quo, which is a fictional account that doesn't hold any punches when it comes to describing the toll Alzheimer's takes on families. And as always, I appreciate your feedback. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky right beside me and my coffee in my hand. So let's begin. Today we're speaking with a guest who calls herself the Happy Cat. Pearlie Ann Friedman is originally from Ottawa, Canada, but lives most of the year on Kolanta, which is a small remote island in southern Thailand. She's the CFO of Kolanta Animal Welfare, which is a rescue charity in Thailand, and she's easing into retirement, choosing an alternative lifestyle. Uh, Perlian has uh, some history that's been challenging. She has survived an aggressive cancer, but she says that she chooses to be positive in the face of real challenges of life. We're going to talk about that today. Welcome to the show, Perlian. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. And uh, how's your jet lag? I know you just got back from Thailand on Friday. Uh, it's getting there. It's uh, harder coming this uh, this way, but you just do it. You yeah. know, I'm sleeping crazy hours, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. So, you know, one of the things we're going to talk about today, we have a few things, your incredible deep love for animals, um, but also your decision, even with some real challenges in life to what you call be consciously happy. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that developed, how you made that decision to say life can be hard, yet I am going to be happy in the face of it? Yeah, I think it, uh, it all goes back to when I was first diagnosed with cancer. And of course, I was in shock. And my doctor said to me, I want you to pick life or death right now tell me if you want to live. And it was so shocking. It was like, well, I want to live. And he goes, from now on, every decision you make is because you want to live. And, you know, at first I didn't really understand it. And with all of the procedures I had to have by choice and, you know, really got me thinking, even after I survived the cancer, that 
life is my choice. How I approach life is my choice. And I want to have the best life I can have. So everything I do is based on wanting to live and wanting to live a good life and being happy. Because being unhappy isn't fun. It's not a good life. And I look around me and so many people are so unhappy, but they're nurturing their unhappiness. So I'm here to nurture my happiness. So your whole philosophy, it sounds like, is whenever there's a decision to be made, you have this uh, very clear choice in front of you to say, this will make me happy and this will not. Is that what it looks like? Absolutely. And not just the choice like that, but when things happen, like I've just returned to Ottawa to... uh, start a consulting contract actually yesterday and they told me Friday I would start in a week. So here I came all the way across the planet and now I'm waiting a week. But it's really not that bad because I can get over jet lag, I can see my friends, I can get caught up on some posting and writing. So, you know, even though things might appear to be not great, have a good look at them and you'll see the bonus, the benefit. Find something there, and I'm actually really glad now that I think about it that I've got this time to kind of ease back into into society. Maybe after being uh, on a remote island for so many months. Mm-hmm. And is your choice to partially retire to Thailand was that one of those choices that you said this is the direction I need to go to make myself happy? Well, all my life I've been fascinated with Asia and with China. And I remember in high school, I kept telling my parents, I'm going to study Far Eastern history and whatever in a U.S. university, which in those days was completely unaffordable. And um, everything just about me has been going to the tropics, to somewhere remote, somewhere completely different. When uh, I was traveling in Asia about 18 years ago, we found Koh Lanta and I knew right away that I would retire there. I just knew it, mm. it had everything I needed. <laughs> Which is what? what? What is it that you need? To be far away, <laughs> mm. to be free, to uh, form my own opinions, to not have society dictate what to do. You know, going to work, going to the shopping center, going just that I didn't want a controlled society and being on this remote island, it was spectacular, beautiful beyond belief. Uh, It was affordable. It was underdeveloped in the sense that there were no chains there and there still aren't. Uh, There's no McDonald's, there's no Kentucky Fried Chicken. There's there's nothing there that kind of brings you back to um, controlled society. Now that doesn't mean I don't like controlled society, but I wanted to be able to be comfortable and free and relaxed and far enough away that I'm somewhere different. Mm-hmm. What's, it, uh, what's a typical day like for you when you're on Colanta? Uh, well, I wake up really early. Uh, my cats are a hungry bunch and by 5.30 when the sun comes up, they're staring at me. Um, I kind of feed them, get up, piddle in the garden a bit, and then I go for a run. And then I do some work, 
usually for the charity. Um, there's a lot of things I'm involved in with the banking end and with multiple foundations. Uh, we're always looking for money, always looking for medical equipment, medicine. And then I'll maybe meet a friend for lunch or have lunch in my garden, um, go work at the center with the visitors doing tours, something like that in the afternoon and then uh, sunset, I water my garden, <laughs> don't want to water it when the sun's up, have dinner at home or go have dinner with friends and lately I've been not going out much at night because I'm hooked, totally hooked to Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> Sounds crazy. Even the middle of nowhere I have Netflix. Oh, that is so And my bedroom funny. is aircon. So by eight o'clock I'm in my bedroom because it's 40 degrees. I'm pretty hot. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it's crazy at my age. I'm hooked on this. <laughs> that is really funny. So uh, you've been living uh, most of the year on Colenta for how long? Well, as um, I, my career was as a high tech consultant, so a lot of the things I do are in phases. These big computer projects are phases, and a lot of phases go live at Christmas or New Year's Eve because people are off work, they have the time to do all this go live stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'd be on a project that went live, meaning in January. I was out of work and I wouldn't look for work till April. So for the past 18 years, I've been almost every year spending four to five months on Colanta. Mm -hmm. So about five years ago, we, um, we found this fantastic place that we rented, we bought. And um, so when I was 60, that was kind of my present to myself is I finally have my home on a remote tropical island. Mm -hmm. So for the past five years, I've spent most of my time on Colanta, but I do go back and forth. Uh, I've had a couple of deaths, you know, close friends, cancer has beaten them. And um, I come back for a few months in the summer because mm -hmm. the summer fall is gorgeous in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And then this year, uh, one of my clients offered me a four month contract that I just couldn't say no to. So. I'm back for it. Usually I come back in July, August. So this year I came back a bit earlier. Earlier. Uh-huh. What's it like for you to transition back to Ottawa from a small remote island in southern Thailand? Like this is going to sound crazy, but the hardest thing for me is driving on the right side of the road here, uh, <laughs> which uh -huh. is crazy. <laughs> crazy. Mm -hmm. In Thailand I have no trouble driving on what we call the wrong side of the road. But oh, and I come back here, it's so funny. I really have to consciously think you're in the middle of the road, be in the middle of the road. <laughs> uh -huh. uh -huh. So you've really designed a life for yourself very consciously. This is not something that kind of passively came along. You have made some big decisions and some of them carried some risk. Oh, completely. And you know, when I decided way back that I love Koh and that's why I wanted to retire, that was just the decision of to start the analysis. And I would say uh, the first 10 years when I went back, uh, what's it like here? How's the medical? What if this happens? What if that happens? How about banking? What about food? 
when I have my own place, I have to shop, what can I do? I mean, I thought of everything and the other expats there and integrating into the community and the lifestyle when it's not tourist season. And so it was very strategic. And I'd say about seven years ago, my partner and I decided, yep, that's where we want to be. Uh, he hasn't retired yet, so he's spending most of his time in Ottawa, but he knew from the day he met me almost 30 years ago that <laughs> I was going to retire on a tropical island. So, uh -huh. And in my career, I traveled so much for work that, you know, we, we didn't see each other a lot. We're very techno, uh, Skype, WhatsApp. We message and talk all the time, but we're not geographically together a lot. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny after all these years, but... Um, everything uh, on Colant and all of our decisions have been very carefully made because when you uproot from the West and you go somewhere remote, there's all kinds of things that can bite you <laughs> that you have no idea about. So you mm. really have to figure it out. Like, what do you mean when you say can bite you? Do you mean literally or figuratively? Well, I think in every sense, actually. Uh, <laughs> You know, when you're in a foreign country, especially an Asian country, they don't want to tell you anything negative. So if you ask them a question, they're going to say yes. So it's how they frame the yes that you really have to understand. But until you've been there, you don't realize that they're telling you yes when they mean no. Oh my! Or they're telling you it's no problem when it's a huge problem. <laughs> so, Can you give an example of that? Well, look, a, a simple example that I tell visitors there is if you ask somebody, you know, is the fish fresh? They're going to go, oh, yes, it's very fresh. And then you have to say, okay, that's, you can't go for that. When was it caught? Oh, uh. it was caught 10 days ago. It's like, you know, <laughs> and they're smiling. And so you just have to understand figure out how to approach questions mm -hmm. or you say to somebody is this broken oh it's fine it's beautiful it's wonderful mm -hmm. well then will it work oh it'll work once you put a new this in about it <laughs> <laughs> once you fix it oh my say goodness. to people what time does the train leave leave and they'll yes. go oh it leaves at six o'clock so by eight o'clock you're still waiting and the, yeah. you ask them they go Oh, the train at eight at six o'clock. That's tomorrow. <laughs> so. Oh my goodness! So you have to be very specific, very concrete, and and very uh, objective using objective standards. Yeah, and that's ask a so lot of questions. So, and when they get to know you, they might say, "Oh, that's not the right question." <laughs> oh my goodness! Because they don't want to say no. Oh, how, and is that, that's Thailand culture? Or is uh, that... Well, China too, but Thailand especially, they just, they're, it's too humili humiliating for them to say no about anything. So once you learn this, it uh, changes everything. And then you understand all the screw ups you've caused. <laughs> oh, how, that is so interesting. Hey, Zestfilagers. Last year, I attended the International Federation on Aging's Global Conference in Toronto, and they've announced the 15th Global Conference on Aging for Niagara Falls, Ontario, from November 1st through 3rd, 2020. 
Zestful Aging Podcast is a proud partner for this conference, and I encourage you to all consider attending. The conference features prominent experts presenting and discussing critical issues within the field of aging. So head on over to ifa2020.org to learn more. And I hope to see you in Niagara Falls in November. Tell me about your love for animals, Perleanne. You call yourself the happy cat. T- tell me how, how that developed and, and what's that like for you? Well, when uh, I was going through chemo, I started doing ceramics with a friend who is a ceramicist as a way to get out of the house and do stuff because I was a mess in chemo. I had every reaction. I looked disgusting. <laughs> I was blown up from the steroids. I was a mess. So I was only going out in the middle of the night to the 24-hour Walmarts and grocery stores because I looked pretty weird. And everybody at three in the morning at these places looks like me. So I felt comfortable (laughs) there. So when I was finally, you know, after the chemo and after all kinds of more tests and, you know, I was cancer-free and things were good, it was like, whoa, I'm alive. I'm the happy cat. I'm alive. And that became my ceramic kind of signature. And then it just became my signature. My house uh, on Colanta has a huge, it's huge wall around it. And I painted a big mural near the gate that says Happy Cat Villa. (laughs) It's it's, um, yeah, cats have always been a part of my life. Mm -hmm. Growing up as well in in Ottawa. I was an only kid, and uh, when I was about three, we moved uh, from an apartment into a house in this kind of really kind of fun neighborhood for me. I'd never been in a neighborhood, and there was an older couple a few doors down, and uh, one day the, they showed me this tiny little thing, and I didn't know what it was. And they said, it's a kitten. It's like, oh, my God, I want one. And they said, well, come back in four weeks, and you can have one. So I went home and I told my mother and she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So four weeks later, I went down, I got the kitten, came home and my mother said, you're not bringing that into the house. And I said, well, that's okay. Well, we won't come in the house. And I sat on the front steps and she said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm with this cat or this kitten. And if you won't let it in the house, I'm not going either. (laughs) So after about two hours, my mother goes, okay, okay. (laughs) And I wasn't angry at her or anything. I totally respected her. Right. She was worried. You just made your decision. I just made my decision. And, you know, it kind of kind of said what I was all about. (laughs) Do you think your love for animals and your connection for animals helped you through your treatment? Totally. Totally. Talk a little bit about that. When uh, I was diagnosed with cancer, um, a lot of things made sense because my cat had started acting weird towards me. And you know, I'm, I feel that my cat knew something was wrong because mm-hmm. I'm very healthy. I run, I do, I eat well, you know, I'm, I'm very conscious about my physical body. So once I started having chemo treatments, uh, the cat would kind of come up to me and snuggle in a way it's never done before. And I figured, cause he knew I was so sick. It's really funny. And then once all the chemo and radiation was over. It was took over a year for all my treatments. And I was okay. The cat's back in love with my partner. 
kind of gave me up. Well, you're fine now. See you later. <laughs> oh my goodness. How, how interesting. So you really noticed that the cat reacted to you in a whole different kind of yeah. way. How interesting. So if you, if you already loved your kitties and then to experience them in this way must have brought another level of, you know, understanding. Well, you know, some people think I'm nuts, but I, I believe there is a connection. And cats are very emotional and extremely sensitive. And if we recognize that, it kind of changes how we approach them. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in Thailand, we, we teach this to the locals there because for them, cats and dogs are kind of how we look at groundhogs and chipmunks. You know, mm-hmm. get rid of them. We don't want them. They're eating our plants. And so to to understand that they have feelings and they need they need to be nurtured physically as well as emotionally. It kind of changes your relationship with the animal. I have three amazing cats at my home in Thailand that I miss terribly. And I have somebody living in my house when I'm not there so that the cat's lives aren't disturbed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also, so nobody comes over my wall and squats in my house. But uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, some say I'm kind of weird, but I've met so many other people that have a connection with animals, especially mm-hmm. working with land animal welfare, that I'm not alone in this, uh, the way I feel at all. Talk about, tell the story about your rescue dog that you adopted. Well, I actually didn't adopt it. It's sort of, um, when animals are adopted at the center in Thailand, uh, the people don't take the animal with them. And it's mostly tourists who fall in love with a dog or a cat. The animal has to go through quite a lot of medical procedures uh, to be granted you know, permission to fly. Depending on the country the animal's going to, there might be quarantine or other kinds of things that need to be done. So the animal follows on in two or three months. Mm-hmm. So when I was, uh, when I accepted this contract and coming back to Ottawa, I'd mentioned it to the uh, adoption person at the center and they said, we just had this dog adopted to Ottawa like the day before. I didn't even know it was going on. Uh, The dog had been very sick and I didn't know that it had been released from the hospital. So it turned out it was uh, a woman traveling and she fell in love with Golden, the dog, and thought it was perfect for her parents. And she did all the arrangements the day before and her parents live in Ottawa. So I was like, oh my God, I'll take the dog with me because <laughs> not many people travel from Colanta to <laughs> Ottawa. So we, they thought they'd have to find somebody in Toronto or Chicago, New York, sort of the Eastern seaboard area where yes. the dog could be and the people here could go get it. Ah. So yeah, it was uh, really amazing. Uh, to bring the dog and to see what it went through. I actually, before our phone conversation, I posted on my uh, Facebook page about the trip and about the dog because that poor thing spent 30 hours in a carrier without food. It had some water, but without food. And um, we left Bangkok, went to Taipei, went to Toronto. And in Toronto, the customs officers were absolutely wonderful. Uh, they let me take him out of the carrier and I had a bag of food so I could feed him and stay out of the carrier for about a half hour. I couldn't really bring it out to go to the bathroom. 
Oh, I wanted my. to, but I was worried about having the dog and having to leave the carrier inside and my bags. It was just oh. too convoluted. And I thought, we'll be an odd one an hour and a half. You know? mm. But um, yeah, it was quite, uh, it was quite rewarding. Next time I come this way, I'll go anywhere to bring a dog. If there's a dog going to New York, I'll go to New York and then make my way back here because the the life I gave that dog is just out of this world. Oh my goodness. So you were like the dog's um, assistant or travel companion. Yeah, we call it uh, flight volunteer. Uh -huh. So I volunteer my flight. Now I had to get, a, you know, that only certain tickets are right and you can't go to a Chinese airport or to Heathrow. Like these places don't have the facilities for animals to move them. So. So there's a couple of restrictions, but the um, the trip for the dog is paid for by the adopters. Mm. That's all they pay for. So they get an animal that's checked out medically, that's sterilized, has the chip and all the vaccinations mm. for the mm. price of a flight, which is a lot cheaper here than getting an animal and paying for all those procedures. Ah, ah yeah. So, oh, that was a really good deed. Yeah, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, a mitzvah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the adopters have sent me some photos of the dog and he's he just looks amazing. He's oh, in a home full of love and oh gentleness, exactly what this dog needs because it was abandoned. I mean, it was pretty bad when he first came to the center. Mm -hmm. He had uh, skin disease, probably from stress of being abandoned. Mm -hmm. He was walking into things. We thought he had a brain tumor. We sent him to get an MRI at an animal hospital near Bangkok, and they found he had blood parasites, which is treatable. So it was wonderful. Oh, uh, but goodness. a lot of money went into that dog to get him better. But that's, mm. you know, that's what we do at the rescue is we, we rescue animals. And then mm. if they can't go back where they're from, we look for a forever home in the West for them. I see. I see. Do you want to give our audience some ideas about when they're coming up on possible retirement or when, you know, th maybe they're empty nesters or thinking about what's my next step. What are the kind of things that they might start thinking about? What, what might you uh, suggest given the way you've done your easing into retirement? Yeah, I think they have to accept that retirement isn't just sitting there and, and expecting things to happen. Because when you don't have your work to go to, it really disrupts your whole routine. Because mm -hmm. what you do on Saturday and Sunday when you're working is not your life after you retire or else it will quickly deteriorate because you have no mental or emotional stimulation mm -hmm. if you read the paper and watch TV. That's not life not enough not at all and then it starts with this hurts or that hurts and maybe i should go to the doctor and then you become a medical experiment mm -hmm. <laughs> or you force yourself into this medical world and everything falls apart because you're making it kind of sort of mm -hmm. but i'm such a focus uh... well if you're always focused on does that hurt well it's going to hurt eventually <laughs> <laughs> Because it's like your body's going to go, okay, I'll make it hurt so you're sad. I don't know. It's, it's just so sad. But try and figure out what your passions are. 
What do you love? And start exploring that, doing your passions, because now you have the time to do your passions. If it's gardening, if it's, I don't know, skiing, running, exercise, um, I don't know, knitting, woodworking, anything at all, anything. Uh, start volunteering. Mm -hmm. Start going uh, to places and offering your services. And if you can't figure out where to go to offer your services, just offer them yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't say technology is for, it's not for me. Get on Facebook and figure it out. Go on Twitter. Maybe become, uh, you're retired, whatever age you are, promote yourself as I'm retired, I'm this age, and this is what I believe and start getting engaged with other people and meet people like you. There's so many groups and forums for every kind of passion anybody could have with other people who are there to do it with you. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, there's really no excuse for people who are bored in retirement. Mm-hmm. Real, yeah, that word engagement really, uh, you know, comes comes to mind as you're talking about sort of reaching out in this way, reaching, it's the opposite of isolating and just kind of hanging out in your house and, um, you know, muddling around in the, in the kitchen or whatever yeah. that you're saying. You've really got to put yourself out there and maybe even feel a little bit of discomfort at first. Why not? I mean, what's the worst that can happen? They go, we don't want to talk to you. We're like, okay, I'll go talk to somebody else. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's really not a big deal. And everybody else is the same. But it, it's, you know, this engagement is so important and consciously engaged. And it doesn't mean you have to get, you know, or you have to get in your car and go anywhere. You can do it in your living room. If you're interested in, I don't know, children or any issue, start Googling the issue. Mm-hmm. Find groups that you can share your ideas with. Mm-hmm. And even if you have nothing, just say, I'm 60, or I live in Ottawa, I'm a woman, I'm over 60, I live in Ottawa. Anybody want to walk with me? I don't know. Shall we, yeah. Can we go for coffee? It's unbelievable what will show up. It's really mm-hmm. unbelievable. There's so many neighborhood groups that you don't even know about till you mm. ask, just ask. Mm, mm-hmm. And of course, what you're saying is completely uh, what we know about healthy aging. All the things are, com- uh, you know, supported by all the science, right? Connecting, learning, stimulating uh, your mind and being social. All of what you're describing is exactly what the longevity research yeah. tells us to do. And we need to listen to it. We really need to listen to it. You know, people say, oh, your brain deteriorates after 50 or something. Well, maybe if it isn't exercised, it does. And the easiest exercise is do a Sudoku a day. Mm-hmm. Do a crossword. Do mm-hmm. something sort of abstract that exercises your mind. Mm-hmm. And don't worry about, well, I don't know about that. Well, there's your first clue. Learn about it. Get <laughs> online. Anything at all. Uh-huh. You know, oh, I don't know how to make cookies with something. Get online. Figure yeah. it out. Yeah. I want to change my my something. Just figure it out, learn something all the time. Because if you're constantly learning things, 
then your brain is engaged. It's active. Mm-hmm. It's like a muscle. It's going to, mm-hmm. it's going to be better. Your memory will be better. Your, you'll feel better about your, your mental abilities. Mm. You know, oh, I can't do that. I forget. I'm forgetful. Well, you're telling yourself you're forgetful. Maybe that's why you're forgetful because you're doing it. Figure out how to not be forgetful. Write it down, have clues, set your timer, do whatever you have to do to get to compensate for any weakness somewhere. So you don't have a weakness. I see. So you're saying to take control and the power you do have and um, use some agency instead of being passive. Totally. Mm. Like when you're passive, nobody wins. Well, you, you don't win for sure. And if other people are saying, oh, you're an old lady, go sit down there. Yeah, seriously? <laughs> really? Yeah, don't yeah. accept people telling you what you are. You know what you are. Uh, I see. And, you know, I see uh, that even somewhat, sometimes the way people who don't know me react to me. You know, oh, you better sit down. It's like, why? Or I'll go, yeah, I just ran 10 miles. I guess I better. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> So I know that you blog uh, for 60 and Me. Is yeah. that something that um, you talk also about your adventures and your philosophy of life? Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. I met Margaret online, oh, a long, long time ago when she was first starting out. And I don't know how we connected. Just some, <laughs> mm-hmm. she contacted me or I contacted her or there was just something there. Mm-hmm. And um, she asked me to write. And I thought, what do I write about? And she goes, write about anything. And so, of course, I did some research and what motivates people. And when you tell them a number of things, like five ways to do this, six ways to this. So I started writing her articles on three ways to be happier, three ways or five ways, whatever, to um, or five reasons why you need a pet. Like, it was all this number thing and they're very easy articles to write. So whenever I'm doing something and I'm thinking, yep, there's something I can send her, I <laughs> write it mind, and I send it to her. Yeah. So yeah. I've, I've developed a pattern for how to do things. So mm-hmm. when I came back from uh, Thailand in February, cause a very dear, dear friend was losing his battle with cancer. I had some challenges at the airport and I've learned in Asia that you never show frustration, aggression, anger, you never show that because everything will go downhill. (laughs) You have to stay calm and pleasant and smiley. So I did and I got myself out of a big jam. I had airlines helping me avoid a a terrible, (laughs) I would have ended up in China without a visa. So I, they were very, this airline was wonderful to me. And I believe they were like that because I was very calm when they told me about a possible problem. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, two weeks ago, when I booked this flight, I wrote uh, an article of uh, how to stay calm, cool and collected when traveling. Oh, I think actually, I think I saw that. Yeah. yeah. So I did, I kind of combined it, why you need to be and then yeah. how to be. Perfect. And, you know, what you project to other people doesn't have to be what you're feeling inside. Mm-hmm. But what you project is how they treat you and that is so important because if mm-hmm. they feel a certain way or you're 
projecting something they don't like. It's not very good. Right, <laughs> <us>. right. <laughs> right. I always say you get more flies with honey than vinegar. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely. How, how can people find you, Perlian, and, and read about your adventures? What are the what's the best way to, to find out more about you? Well, my website is uh, thehappycat.ca. Mm. Okay. And I'm on Facebook at, uh, at um, Perleanne Friedman, and that's okay. my happy cat handle. Uh-huh. So, Excellent. yeah, so I'm, I post not a lot, maybe once a week or when there's things that are interesting. Uh -huh. I don't tell anybody when I brush my teeth or anything like that. It's... <laughs> I wouldn't post anything that I wouldn't want to read from another person. Oh, that's a great guideline. Yeah, that's a great guideline. Well, I, I really think that our listeners are going to appreciate your adventuresome and, and, and intrepid spirit and and your just the way you bring your your kind of your own personality, your own values to creating this life that fits you just perfectly. And anybody can do it. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much for talking to us today and telling us about your life. Well, thank you very much. I hope I inspired others to uh, go after their passions. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. Next week, we're going to be speaking with Irene Francis Olson, who's the author of Requiem for the Status Quo, which is a fictional account that doesn't hold any punches when it comes to describing the toll Alzheimer's takes on families. I hope you'll listen in, and I look forward to talking to you soon. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses, and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash Zestful Aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.